0: The views expressed in this program are those of the participants.
1: Ulysses may think we're gods, but apparently in ancient Greece, the gods were drafted into the army. That's right, they took sides. Well, what are we going to do? As soon as they're all asleep, we're going to get out of here.
0: Welcome, everyone. It is Thursday, October the 1st, 2020. I'm Bob Metz, and this is Just Right, broadcasting around the world and online. Join us for an hour of discussion that's not right wing It's Just Right. Fade into color, color into black and white. Under the clothes, everything will be It is true that the gods pick sides in the mythologies and legends of many a past religion, and though today it is generally accepted among most religions that there is only one god, his followers apparently still pick sides when it comes to political and social conflicts, and even when on opposite sides, each claims god is behind them. Complicating matters even further, even members of the same religion can and do have entirely Opposite political views from one another, and sad to say, most of the world's religions today sit politically on the left. But it's hard not to notice that Christians in particular are being targeted by the left and its COVID-19 fascists. Even as violent and disruptive groups like Black Lives Matter and Antifa and other outrageously wacko groups like Extinction Rebellion can protest freely at will, law-abiding, peaceful church-going Christians have been forced to close their churches, threatened with fines for not wearing masks or social distancing, and have been prevented from speaking out themselves. So why are they picking on Christians so visibly and so blatantly? I have my own suspicions which I will begin sharing with you right after this week's reminder that you can write us at feedback at justrightmedia.org. Hear us on WBCQ and on Channel 292 Shortwave. Follow and like us on your favorite podcast platform and visit us at www.justrightmedia.org where you can access all of Just Right's social media links and our archived broadcasts. Consider offering your financial support. Everyone who donates $25 or more will receive a copy of our 52-page full-color publication, Climate Essentials, written by one of our regular guests, Dave Plum. Any of you who have been regular listeners to this show for any length of time will probably be aware that I personally do not believe in deity in the sense that there is some, you know, man in the sky with a beard who exercises his volition over the rest of us in the sense that a deity that we call God created all of existence out of non existence. To me, that's a very childlike way of conceptualizing what I think God represents. I have my own secular views concerning the concept of God, which I have discussed in detail in the past and which is not our central theme today. So, to answer the question I posed earlier, why are Christians particularly so targeted by the COVID lockdowns and rules? Well, here's my theory. It's primarily within the Christian religions that any political values of the right can really be found, even though many leftist values may be held by others who call themselves Christian. By values of the right, I'm referring to those that include and extend from individualism and individual freedom. By values of the left, I'm referring to those values that naturally lead to collectivism and to state control. Political Islam, for example, is completely on the left, particularly given its practice of theocracy, which is a form of fascism utterly opposed to any of the values of Christianity. I was raised as a Catholic, and today I only attend church events that involve a marriage or a funeral. But the Catholic Church itself is extraordinarily left-wing, and most Catholics vote liberal Here, where I live in Canada. And this is ironic considering the Catholic Church's opposition to abortion and to the abortion's free on demand policy of the Liberal Party. I have on past episodes of this show cited various papal encyclicals that expressed explicit opposition to capitalism. But that doesn't mean that all Catholics are as I've just described. And for the most part, I would say that the majority of Protestant denominations are the most likely to profess right-wing views. And they're the ones most often referred to either affectionately or pejoratively as quote-unquote right-wing Christians. When I hear that term, I rarely think of Catholics being in that group. They're the left-wing Christians if you look at it in terms of political polarities. The point to be made here is that the mere fact that someone belongs to a particular religion is not necessarily any indication of what values he or she holds. Today's blasphemies are not about gods and deities, they're about the official COVID-19 narrative and others like climate change. There are many people who are, in fact, very religiously dedicated to freedom, and not simply on the grounds of what atheists might decry as blind faith, but based on the evidence of their senses and on the application of reason. For them, these values are not mutually exclusive to their beliefs, but go hand-in-hand with the religion they practice we featured some of those voices on past episodes of this show. And although the voice you're about to hear next falls into that same category, his is a bit different. As an outspoken Catholic priest in the state of Minnesota, Father Robert Altier's views are not necessarily shared by his own church, a controversy that we'll discuss more in detail after hearing what got him in hot water with his own Catholic community.
2: If you look over and over again at what the prophets say, they will preface it with, thus says the Lord. It may be calling people to repentance. It may be calling people to change things. It may be telling the people that something wonderful is going to happen. Whatever it is, they have to speak the truth. Because God is truth. I have an obligation to stand here and speak the truth even when people don't like to hear it. So here we go. We have been lied to. We have been lied to in a huge way. First of all, since last winter, we've had this virus running around. It is a real virus. It is a man-made virus. It was, the work had begun in a laboratory in North Carolina, and they shipped it to China to finish the work. And it was released so that people would get sick. All this is being done on purpose. Now, in case you're not sure about that, and again, everything that I'm going to say today, please don't take my word for it. Look it up. Do the work. Look it up. I have no desire to lie to you. I have no desire to try to blow smoke over your head. I want to tell you the truth. Because that's what God is going to hold me responsible for. So there was something last October. It was called Event 201. Event 201 was a United Nations along with a number of multinational corporations that got together and had a simulation of an international coronavirus pandemic. Imagine that. You'd think that they knew it was coming or something. But anyway, they you can look it all up. They've got all their deliberations up there. One of the things that they said that they wanted to do was what they called Flood the Zone, and that's their words, not mine. Flood the Zone meant we want to get the message out that we want people to hear, and we do not want anything else being heard. They have succeeded in doing that, because every doctor, every scientist, every whomever who gets up and says something different than the narrative has been taken off of Facebook, taken off of YouTube, Taken down from every place else. Remember, we have freedom of speech. Well, unless it goes against the narrative. So they had an agenda. They don't even try to hide it. Like I said it's right there, Event 201. You can look it up. And amazingly, this has gone exactly the way that they said it was going to go. So there's more to come. It's all there, but we're not going to get into that today. Then as time went along, they said we needed to lock everything down. Remember that that was to flatten the curve so that the hospitals weren't overwhelmed. No hospital was overwhelmed. In fact, there was hardly anybody in most of the hospitals. Yeah, there was the one hospital out in New York City that you saw. And that's because they took every single person who might have had the coronavirus in New York City and brought them to the same hospital. Think of all the millions of people. They all came to the same place. So that place was crowded. No place else was. But remember, that was supposed to be for two weeks to flatten the curve. And then they kept coming up with new scenarios as to why we need to keep it going. And then they told us we need to have masks on and we need to stay six feet apart. And remember, it's the exact same doctors who in March said, do not wear a mask. They're not good for you. And then all of a sudden, they're the ones saying you need to put a mask on. Now people are going to the hospital because of bacterial infections from what they're breathing in from the mask. And the dentists are actually saying, stop wearing the mask because it's messing up your gums and your teeth. I didn't even know such a thing was possible. But we have been treated to what may be the most impressive virus in the history of the world, because this virus knew somehow that if there were 10 people or fewer that nobody would get infected by it. If it was 11 or more, people were going to get sick. But it knew more than that. It knew that if it was at a large corporate place, you wouldn't get sick. But if it was at a small business, oh, everybody was going to get sick. So we need to get rid of the small businesses, but keep the large corporate places open. Somehow or another, it knew that if it was at a funeral, you couldn't have more than 10 people or everybody would get sick. Unless that funeral happened to be politically and emotionally charged, then 30,000 people can be there shoulder to shoulder, and that was okay because nobody was going to get sick. Somehow this virus knows that if it's in church, it's going to make people sick. But if it's rioting out on the streets, nobody's going to get sick. I mean, this is a truly impressive virus, to be able to know these things. But it goes beyond honor. All these things are about fear. Trying to instill fear into us. Because they've got something more. So we look again at what's going on. I know of at least six cases where people have gone to get tested for this thing. These are all here in the Twin Cities. And they've gone to be tested and the wait was so long that they finally decided to leave. Some of them after an hour and a half, some of them actually after three hours of waiting, they decided to leave. But they had checked in already. And so they left. All six of them, from different places at different times, Got a letter in the mail about a week or two later saying that your test results have come back and you have tested positive for COVID. So how many people really have this? (laughs) Brings us to what happened just recently the department of justice a couple of weeks ago announced that they were going to start looking into what i would call the homicidal decisions of a number of governors to put the sickest people as they get out of the hospital into nursing homes and they put them into nursing homes on purpose because god was not cooperating with these people in their plan there weren't enough people dying Remember what we were told originally? 2.2 million people were going to die in our country. 2.2 million! The CDC then, without saying anything, one day dropped it down to a million and a half, and then a million, and then 900,000, and it just kept going down and down and down. And they were trying anything to get the numbers up. In fact, A doctor, if they falsify a death certificate, will lose their license. But the CDC wrote to the doctors and told them to put COVID down as the reason for people's death. There was a doctor right here in Minnesota who happens to be a legislator. Jensen is his name. You can look it up. He's the one who said, I received the seven-page memo from the CDC, and here's what they told us to do. So there was actually a man, this wasn't here in Minnesota, there was a man who was shot in the head about a month and a half ago. And guess what? He died of COVID. There was somebody else who got hit by a bus. He died of COVID. All these things, everybody was dying of COVID. Did you know that in New York City, up until about February, there were lots of people dying from the flu. And after that, not one single person died of the flu cancer either for that matter. So I think COVID is the cure for the flu. We have to look at what's going on. Bunch of lies. So anyway, two weeks ago, if you would have looked on the CDC website, it said there were about, I think it was about 154,000 people in America who died of COVID. And then the Department of Justice said they were going to investigate these two decisions to put people into the nursing homes. And lo and behold, two days later, if the CDC didn't change their website and said, actually only 6% of the 154,000 died of COVID. Really? Now that's COVID alone. So some of the people in the nursing homes, and they pointed this out, the average person Who died with this had 2.6 other comorbidities as they call them so only nine nine thousand two hundred people have actually died of covid by itself in america nine thousand two hundred now as they go through all these draconian things that they have been doing what is interesting is that when you look at it from that perspective, 9,200 doesn't even come close to breaking into the top 10 causes of death in America. But I think number seven on the list, if I'm not mistaken, is suicide. Notice that they haven't let, let up on anything, even though the number of calls to the suicide hotlines have increased 600%. The number of divorces in April and May skyrocketed. The number of cases of child abuse has gone through the roof. That hasn't changed anything that these people have told us that we're supposed to be doing. Because they have a bigger agenda. So we need to recognize, eventually here, that we have been lied to. 99.75% of everyone who has gotten this has completely recovered with no side effects 99.75% think about that so we think about all these people who are dying And the vast majority of people who get this are recovering completely. In fact, they want us to think that this is such a deadly disease. Think about the fact that most of us, if we've had it, the only way we're going to know is if we went and got tested. It's so deadly that you don't know if you had it? Really?
0: Come on. Yeah, really, if it's really such a deadly disease, why do we need a test to tell us if we had it? Isn't that an obvious question? And why would you ever quarantine the healthy instead of the sick? That's never been done before in the history of humanity. Now, that wasn't the end of Father Altier's sermon. He continued with a warning about the planned forced vaccine campaigns and the dangers that were involved with those vaccines in terms of health risks. That's an issue for another day. But I'll tell you now, I'm not among those looking forward to another flu vaccine which has more risks than benefits. And I have to confess that when I originally heard the news about the CDC's downgrading of COVID deaths to that 6% figure, which was widely reported quite a while ago, I really wasn't connecting the dots between that official revision and the announced investigation by the Department of Justice. Wow, talk about a red flag. To say that we are being lied to throughout this entire COVID-19 lockdown is an understatement so profound it boggles the imagination. It's a conclusion that I firmly share with Father Altier, and there is nothing in his narrative that we haven't already touched upon ourselves as we've been covering the state lockdowns and prohibitions, and we've covered other narratives with nuanced differences in detail, but the bottom line is generally always the same. And still, to this very day, the mainstream media in my area, from print to broadcast, is a steady drone of leftist fictions, which are all lies, and which are, as Father Altier so clearly stated, about their trying to instill fear for another agenda. This has been clear for a long time now, yet the mainstream reports look and sound as if they were written in some twilight zone of unreality. And what's particularly amazing is that even their own reports are contradictory and irrational enough to draw that conclusion. You can draw it from their own material. For example, under the daily quote-unquote recent developments column reported on the front pages of last Friday and Saturday's London Free Press were the following. Friday COVID caseloads rising in Ontario. 400 plus new cases Thursday as 30,600 new tests were completed. Waiting. More than 50,000 people were awaiting tests. Results on Thursday. Then on Saturday, once again, Ontario topped 400 new daily cases, most of them in Toronto. People under age 40 account for most. Nationwide, Canada surpassed 150,000 confirmed cases of COVID-19 on Friday, end quote. Well, what never shows up in these daily updates is how many people are actually hospitalized or how many have died. No report. And I want to know just what the hell a COVID caseload is. To what load are they referring? Is a caseload the same as a simple case? It makes it sound like hospitals are overwhelmed with loads of sick people. Even more misleading is the use of the word COVID when actually describing the presence of the SARS-CoV-2 virus, which is no longer a concern, as evidence would suggest. COVID is the disease, folks. By the government's own admission, most of the tests of this virus are not reliable. Many are fabricated, especially given that they have yet to be able to isolate one coronavirus from another that might be floating around in someone's system. It's really difficult to fully appreciate the degree to which our establishment has gone to create fear and terror where there is no cause to justify it. Now getting back to Father Altier's, I discovered this item online from Star Tribune in Minnesota. And apparently Father Altier is not alone in having stirred up controversy within his own religious circles. There's another priest named Father Altman, who has also found himself in controversy. And I was getting the two mixed up which is understandable since both of their names begin with ALT, almost as if to symbolize that theirs is the alternative view. (laughs) The headline reads, Two Renegade Priests, One Calls COVID Sham, One Says Dems Face Hell, and the subhead, Catholic Leaders Way, Response to Two Renegades, written by Gene Huffensperger of the Star Tribune on September 15th, and I quote, The Reverend Robert Altier delivered a fiery sermon earlier this month labeling COVID-19 an evil man-made conspiracy and telling his Catholic congregation in Crystal that we have been lied to. That came just days after the Reverend James Altman, a priest in La Crosse, Wisconsin, appeared in a video posted on YouTube calling Catholic Democrats godless hypocrites doomed to hell. A video produced by a Minnesota conservative media news outlet that has now received 655,000 clicks. Catholic priests, as with all faith leaders, are supposed to steer clear of endorsing political leaders, at minimum, from the pulpit. But the two incendiary speeches reveal that the country's polarized political climate is drifting through some church doors. Well, isn't everything polarized and you can't get away from that? Isn't that what I've been saying? While Catholic clergy members have participated in events supporting issues such as abortion restrictions, it's rare to find such overt and damning public preaching, said the Reverend Tom Reese, senior analyst for Religion News Service. We have thousands of priests, so we'll inevitably have some renegades, he said, adding that it's the role of bishops to reign them in. When what the priest said is utterly false information that can endanger people's lives, then the bishop needs to act quickly, he said. End quote. Now here again, We have someone labeling some undefined information as being false without even being specific or offering the correct information to refute it. And even if one fact was incorrect, how does that make everything he said false information? And what I really want to know is how can what Father Altier said possibly endanger people's lives? One thing's for sure, I can easily demonstrate how what our mainstream media and politicians are saying now does endanger people's lives and has in fact already killed thousands. But to continue, quote, The two incidents unfolded within about a week of each other. Altman's video was posted on YouTube August 30th by Alpha News Minnesota, a conservative media group. You cannot be Catholic and be Democrat, period, Altman says. Their party platform is against everything the Catholic Church teaches. Repent of your support of that party and that platform or face the fires of hell. The video went viral and supporters held a prayer rally last Sunday in La Crosse to support Altman. La Crosse Diocese Bishop William Patrick Callahan said the diocese has been inundated with messages. Father James Altman has become a social media phenomenon and is now a mainstream media story, said Callahan in a statement. The amount of calls and emails we are receiving in our offices show how divisive he is. I am being pressured by both sides for a comment. One side holds him up as a hero, the other side condemns him. He said Altman's generalizations and condemnation of entire groups of people is completely inappropriate in not keeping with our values or the life of virtue. In response, the bishop said he will first try fraternal correction, private counseling with Altman, to address the problem. But canon law penalties are not far away if my attempts at fraternal correction do not work, he said. Back in Minnesota, Altier took on another political issue from the pulpit at St. Raphael Church, namely casting doubt on the legitimacy and threat of the coronavirus, which the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention says has infected more than 6.5 million Americans, and killed at least 193,000. A former assistant pastor at the Church of St. Agnes and St. Paul, Altier started his sermon by giving his version of the origins of COVID-19. The 20-minute homily ends with Altier proclaiming the only way he would take a COVID vaccine is if they arrest me and hold me down and force it upon me. The September 6th audio of the sermon is still up at the St. Raphael Church's website. St. Paul and Minneapolis Archbishop Bernard Hebda has not indicated whether he intends to remove it or have the content clarified. The Archdiocese posted a statement on its website September 11th saying it was aware of Altier's homily and has been in contact with him. With the assistance of experts in this area, the matter continues to be under review, said the statement by Reverend Michael Tix, vicar for clergy and parish services. The statement also said that the Archdiocese is committed to the safety and well-being of all people and has collaborated with health officials in its church safety protocols. Charles Reed, a canon lawyer and law professor at the University of St. Thomas, has been tracking the Lacrosse case. He said how priests are disciplined is up to their bishop, and that can differ depending on the diocese. The Catholic Church is sharply divided between conservatives and mainstream faithful. Quote. Now notice how they just worded that. They say, conservatives and mainstream faithful. Well, the mainstream faithful, if they're contrasted to conservative, that means those on the left. Because the opposite of conservative is not mainstream faithful. It's liberal or democrat. And finally, quote, but I don't think you should delay where a priest is delivering deadly information, he said, end quote. So as you can see, the Catholic Church is, is in this case, acting just like the fascist. There was nothing political said by either of these priests that to my lifelong understanding of the faith of Catholicism itself would have contradicted any fundamentals. But it does contradict the current policies of the Catholic Church. Political policies. Pope Francis supports the COVID agenda. He supports the Green philosophy. The Vatican has long been against capitalism and in favor of collectivism. I have often cited Catholic encyclicals that spell this out in no uncertain terms. So precisely because these Catholic Church officials clearly do not want the subject discussed, well, we'll now make a point of getting to the root of their dilemma by addressing Father Altman's statement that you cannot be Catholic and be Democrat, period. Why would he draw such a conclusion? Well... I think it's because U.S. President Donald Trump fully understands that his country is facing a revolution, a term he himself has used, and that evil revolution is being orchestrated by the Democratic Party. He is the obstacle to their plans, and hence they have forced a wave of violence and terror across America that defies most people's understanding. So here, once again is a Catholic voice to explain exactly what's going on in America today because it has been going on since the founding of the country. But here's the twist. The voice you're about to hear is that of Catholic Bishop Fulton J. Sheen, who with his blackboard and chalk shared this message on his televised American broadcast that took place way back in 1965. That's right, over half a century ago. And after hearing what you're about to hear, Try convincing yourself that it wasn't written yesterday.
1: We're going to investigate in a particular way today the problem of revolution. We started our country with a revolution. Revolution is in the air today. As a matter of fact, the revolutionists of our day are all arguing and contending that, well, we started that way, therefore we should continue it. So, let us now investigate this question. Namely, we do live in America in a revolutionary tradition, certainly. But the question is, what kind of a revolution should we have? What kind of a revolution? There are two kinds. One, the kind we started with. The other, the kind we have today. What was the kind we started with? Well, I can tell it in the story of of an old soldier who had fought it. Concord, and someone said to him in his old days, why did you go to Concord on that April day? You suffered great oppression, didn't you? No, Colonel Preston said, no, I wasn't conscious of any great oppression from a foreign power. Well, then, it's because you were against the Stamp Act. Oh, I never saw any of the stamps. I think that General Bernard kept some of them in Castle William, but I never saw them. I certainly didn't fight on account of the Stamp Act. Well, then, you revolted on account of the tea tax. I never drank a cup of tea in my life. I wasn't interested in the tax. Well, then you must have been reading Harrington, Sidney, and Locke. Never read them. All I ever read was the Bible, Watts' hymns, and the catechism. Well then, why did you go to Concord? He said, for one reason, in order that we might govern ourselves. That was the American Revolution, to govern ourselves. Now, what's the revolution of today? What's its nature? Violence. Violence just for the sake of violence, that is ours. I mean, not ours, please God, not any of ours, you or me, but I mean the new type of revolt which involves destruction of everything that is in the past. And these people who are actuating violence today claim they're in the line of the American Revolution. They are not. Now let me go more into detail these two types of revolution. Each of these had a character at the head who symbolized the revolutions. The one who Best expressed the principles of the American Revolution was Thomas Jefferson. Thomas Jefferson is the antecedent of all Americans today who believe in self government. Who's the pre- progenitor of this kind of revolution? Someone who was a contemporary of Thomas Jefferson. Strange to say, Saint-Just, 1793, revolution. Saint-Just, and all who were associated with him in that revolution. Now let me tell you the difference between the two. And here we'll have a review, really, in Pietas and in patriotism, And I will, first of all, describe what Jefferson taught us, what we believe, and what are the conditions of the preservation of our country. Then I will give you Saint-Just, who holds exactly the same thing that the violent revolutionists of today hold in our country. They may not know that they are adopting his principles, but they are. Thomas Jefferson probably knew St. Just, they were in Paris together. But in order to do our American Constitution, Thomas Jefferson had had to repudiate all of the principles of St. Just. Whether he knew St. Just or not. Let's review the principles upon which our democracy was founded, then let's review San Thomas Jefferson founded our democracy upon two principles, one, the dignity of man. Secondly, I will just simplify it, all rights and liberties come to us from God. I will explain these and then we will go to Saint-Just. Thomas Jefferson. First, he believed that the government must be founded upon the respect for the individual. So he investigated what are the source of our rights and liberties. Where do they come from? Where does my right of free speech come from? or the right of assembly, or any other right we have? From the will of the majority? If it did, the will of the majority could take away the will of the minority. Jefferson intended that the majority would be the custodian of minority rights. rights and liberties come from the federal government? <clears throat> Certainly not. If they came from the federal government, the federal government could take them away. Taking almost everything else away. <laughs> we might just as well take away our rights and liberties. But, he set it down in the second paragraph of the Declaration of Independence that it is a self-evident principle. Self-evident. that the creator, the creator, has endowed man with certain unalienable rights, unalienable, they cannot be taken away, among which are the right to life, to liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That is our democracy. Those are the two principles And isn't it interesting that that particular government and those governments in the world that deny the existence of God are those that deny the existence of human rights? Now, let's go to Saint-Just. What is Saint-Just? And along with him, Royer. What was their principle? Their principle was that in order to make people pass through a certain door, there was only one way to do it, and that was the way of terror, confiscation of property, and the destruction of rights and liberties. As also said a people can can be told, can be taught to save themselves only by violence, and the path to the establishment of every government must be upon a pile of corpses. That was the thing that Jefferson had to fight against when he wrote the Declaration of Independence. He knew it. It wasn't anything new. I'm bringing it up now to remind you that we're going through exactly that same crisis now that Jefferson faced. That our country today has to choose once more between Jefferson and Saint-Just. Which are we going to choose? You
0: are listening to Just Right, broadcasting around the world and online. And here we are, once again, faced with that polarized binary choice. Jefferson or Saint-Just? Or, as we've been framing the polarity, left or right? And now, we might have a better understanding of why Father Altman suggested that Catholicism is incompatible with any of the Democratic Party's ideology. And what a great description of what we're witnessing today. Quote, Their principle was that in order to make people pass through a certain door, terror was required, confiscation of property, destruction of life and rights, End quote. And yet, many still don't see it, blinded by the very propaganda that is daily terrorizing them. But self-government versus the rule of others has always been mankind's struggle. Self-government is represented by the right or Jefferson, as framed by Bishop Sheen, the rule of others, an elite, is represented by the left, or Saint-Just. I found it very interesting that Bishop Sheen would correctly define America as a democracy. Now, many object to the use of that term, also correctly pointing out that the United States is a republic, but this is to confuse democracy with simple majority rule, and the two concepts are polarized opposites. The U.S. is both a democracy and a republic, though given the events of today, it's startlingly clear that neither is a guarantee of protecting individual rights. That's because the left always exists to some degree or another. And when unchecked and unresisted, it is only a matter of time before a free republic is transformed into a totalitarian republic. But it will no longer be a democracy. The form remains, but the spirit does not. A nation is democratic to the degree that its citizens are governed with their consent. When the elites begin to rule, democracy ceases. History within nations consists of the struggle of the individual against government, and between nations of the free economy against the closed economy, End quote. That was Isabel Patterson in The God of the Machine, published back in 1943, and she continued, quote, Since volition is a function of the individual, the individual has the precedent right. The least practicable measure of government must be the best. Anything beyond the minimum must be oppression. If everyone were invariably honest, able, wise, and kind, there should be no occasion for government. But men are neither holy, noble, nor incorrigibly bad, but rather imperfect creatures gifted with the divine spark and so capable of improvement, perhaps in the long run, of perfectibility. This is essentially a secular application of the Christian doctrine of the individual soul born to immortality with the faculty of free will, which includes the possibility of sin or error, yet equally enabled to strive towards salvation, its heritage. Let anyone who does not recognize the connection of these principles try to rewrite the Declaration of Independence without reference to a divine source of human rights. It cannot be done. The axiom is missing. A philosophy of materialism can admit no rights whatever, hence the most grinding despotism ever known resulted at once for the experiment, quote unquote, of Marxist communism, which could posit nothing but a mechanistic process for its validation. The Christian idea was necessary to the concept of freedom. The Roman idea was indispensable for the form, a government of laws and not of men, end quote. And as we all know, Rome was a republic, a republic brought down by the same forces in play today. And to many, this association of Christianity with freedom seems to fly in the face of so much of Christianity's history. But you could say that about almost any political or religious movement in history. Mankind's history was never one of freedom, let alone individual rights and individualism. Mankind's past brutal history was entirely tribal and collectivist. Freedom and individualism arose with the Enlightenment, and the Christian community was among the earliest to adopt those values, irrespective of the dubious metaphysics of its beliefs. It is understandable that religious people have always been very suspicious of anyone they consider atheist. Quote, Isn't it interesting that those governments who deny the existence of God deny the existence of human rights? Asked Bishop Sheen. Well, there's a great deal of truth in that observation, but the association may not be as literal or as simple as that. For example, knowing how I reject the literal concept of a deity, I have many times in the past been asked on various talk shows including, I'm sure, on some of the left, right, and center shows we have archived online, whether I object to the inclusion of God in the Constitution of either the United States or Canada, my answer has always been no, I do not object. Because whatever other beliefs or values are associated with God, the important thing being recognized in such constitutions is that individual rights do not originate or exist because of government or because of other people. A government may uphold and protect individual rights under an objective rule of law, or it may ignore and violate individual rights under the subjective rule of man. Right now we're getting a lot of the latter. It is understandable that dictatorships of all kinds would reject God. God would represent an authority that would compete with their own. Unless, of course, a dictator claimed in some way that God supported him. Remember, the gods picked sides, as we heard in our show opener today. But as Isabel Patterson observed earlier, governments that deny the existence of human rights do so because they are wholly materialistic, a distinct characteristic of the left. And with that observation, we now arrive at the crux of our dilemma, a clear definition and description of what we're dealing with today, once again courtesy of Bishop Fulton Sheen, very rationally interpreting events through his own religious perspective back in 1965.
1: We're familiar enough with the principles of Jefferson. So I'm going to enumerate for you. You'll be, it'll be easy to identify the new type of violence that's sweeping our country, our schools, our streets. And I'm going to describe three characteristics. The first characteristic of the new violence of our day is what we will call elitism. Now this word, I don't know whether it exists or not, but it's the only way that I can describe it. It's taken from the world word elite. There used to be a virtuous elite a core of heroes and saints that very much influenced any culture and democracy. The new elite practices what is called elitism, namely, there is a dominant minority that makes a lot of noise and that uses violence to force its will upon others. They're revolutionists without a program. They have no flag. They only know what they're against. They do not know what they're for. And taking some words out of Toynbee, they're made up of two groups. Uh, Toynbee called, said the first group was conqueror. I would call one of the groups, the man with the bullhorn, he's always the leader. You just watch in any violent group today that follows the principle of Saint-Just, watch the man with the bullhorn. He's the leader of that revolt. Secondly, there are the hangmen, the kind that are rifle desks, destroy property, burn homes, do anything to enforce their will. And then there are the wastrels, the group that just profit from violence. Confiscate property to be in on the violence. That's the first group. Second, mysticism. This is another new characteristic of the revolution. Mysticism is a term that belongs to religion. It doesn't belong actually in the field of, uh, of politics, but has been transposed to politics. Now, what was mysticism? Mysticism was a, well, it could best be expressed uh, in the uh, mysticism of, of uh, John of the Cross. Dodo, Inada. In other words, God or nothing. Either you give yourself to God completely, or else you give nothing. This was spiritual mysticism. The political mysticism is, of course, there is no God. It's my will or nothing. This is what the elite insists upon. No alternative, no compromise. So they would make, in this mysticism, a tableraza. rasa. They would wipe the slate clean of anything that opposes them. And then after they destroyed life and property, they would ask for an amnesty and immunity. Thirdly, this is not my term. You could very well accuse it of being, accuse me of having invented it. I've often thought of giving a telecast on it But the other day, I went into the 10-volume history of Toynbee. And lo and behold, I found Toynbee saying that idea which has been in my mind, namely Satanism. Satanism is behind it, too. This is the third characteristic of it. The world is built on order. There's a plan. So scientists are able to discover the laws of the universe. And in discovering the laws of the universe, men find harmony. This harmony, an order, had to come from somewhere. It came from God. What is the essence of Satanism? The essence of Satanism is the destruction of that order. The order of law, the order of morality, order of religion, the order of ethics, anything that you please. This is Saint-Just in our day. Maybe God is stirring us, bringing us to the brink of danger in order that we might begin to examine ourselves and restore Jefferson the dignity of man and the belief in God our nation is too full of those that are crying down down with the universities down with schools down with the churches down with teachers down with government Down with the police! Can you build anything down? You cannot!
0: Chilling. And a pretty hard act to follow. You know, as Professor Salim Mansour has so often emphasized and explained during his past appearances on this show, elitism is the disease of our democracies. Elitism describes to the very core what the fuss about U.S. President Donald Trump is all about. Trump is not one of them and stands in direct opposition to them all. I have to say that Bishop Sheen's definition of elitism is possibly among the best and most succinct that I've ever come across. A dominant minority that makes a lot of noise and uses violence to force its will upon others. That is exactly what we are witnessing today regarding every recent political issue of our day from fighting climate change to beating coronavirus. As political goals, these are two impossibilities that are both destructive to human life and, not surprisingly, form the fundamental policies of all parties of the left. Simply mix and stir with Black Lives Matter and Antifa and you've got all the violence and terror you can orchestrate. It is significant to note that the elites have taken a word that represents the exact opposite of elitism and keep attempting to turn it into a pejorative, namely populism. God forbid, that the people should actually be able to govern themselves. What do you think Brexit was all about, or why all this started immediately following Brexit? Personally, if I were to convey the message that we just heard from Bishop Sheen, I would certainly not use the language or terms that he particularly used, although I'm not averse to many religious references. Loved his definition of elitism, and I can live with his definitions of mysticism and Satanism in the context he used them. I could completely identify... ...with the phenomenon he was describing. Of course, left to my own devices, I'd probably never use the term Satanism... ...to denote an opposition to all order and harmony... ...since there are other words I might use to describe that, like anarchism or tyranny. But what an interesting observation about mysticism. Something you might think would be regarded as a universal positive by a man of the cloth... ...irrespective of where it was applied. But not so... Sheen saw no place for mysticism in the realm of politics. When the often criticized for being atheist Ayn Rand spoke of mysticism as a pejorative, she meant it when used to reject the concepts of reality and reason. She also meant it in the context of politics. She cautioned against using arguments based on faith to defend individual freedom, not because she was particularly opposed to anybody having faith in freedom per se, but because... In using that argument, it is implied that there are no rational reasons, no grounds in reality on which to defend freedom. Thus, handing freedom strictly to the religious realm of mysticism, as Jean feared, and leaving it without a so-called scientific basis, if you want to coin a popular justification of the day. Now, Here's a quote I found that was attributed to Pope Pius XII. Quote, render unto Caesar the things which are Caesar's, and unto God the things which are God's. One would like to add, give unto man things which are man's, give man his freedom and his personality, his rights and his religion, End quote. Well, when I compare quotes like this, and what we heard from the two priests previously cited, with the so-called mainstream faithful, As described earlier, it becomes clear that no religion, even if founded on a common premise, is exempt from the philosophic and political struggle between left and right. Nor are the rest of us. There is a growing awareness within both the religious and non-religious community of the right that they may have more in common with each other than each of them is usually aware. The point is that in politics, where consent is the guiding principle of the free society and coercion is the operative principle of the unfree society, you've got to look both left and right before choosing your political allies or rejecting your opponents. Those are the key grounds that you have to align on. So do you think I'm becoming a God-fearing atheist or what? (laughs) I'll leave that one to you to ponder. I'll tell you this, though. I would rather fear God than what I see heading towards us on the political horizon. Let's see how much closer to that horizon we'll be by this time next week when you are once again invited to join us as we continue our journey in the right direction. And until then, be right, stay right, do right, act right, think right, and be right back here. We'll see you then. Into color, color into black and white
1: This is a story about patriotism in the year 2024. A woman was elected president of the United States. The reporters approached the husband and said, how do you feel about the election? He said, I regret that I have only one wife to give to my country.